Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. My name is Brandon Russell, and I'm the online writer here at IFA Magazine. And joining me on the podcast today is my co-host and IFA Magazine editor, Sue Whitbread. Hi, everyone. And Sue here. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation where Brandon and I are going to be talking investment. But with so much talk about the the R word, recession, uh, we're going to be focusing on investing in a recessionary environment. Um, We're certainly experiencing some really challenging times for advisors, for investors, with all this uncertainty in the macroeconomic environment, as well as all the geopolitical threats as well. Um, So our podcast guest today, let let me welcome him because he's so well placed to shed some light on what's really going on out there. So I'm really pleased to welcome and our guest, it's Andrew Hardy, who is Director of Investment at Momentum Global Investment Management. Andrew, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. Hi there both. Um, delighted to be here. Hi Andrew, it's great to meet you. Great to have you on the podcast. Can we kick off, kick off our conversation with your thoughts about the current market conditions? Markets have started the year on the front foot, but um, what do you put that down to? Yeah, sure. Good place to start. Uh, Absolutely. Investor sentiment, I think, has improved a lot in the past three months or so, broadly speaking. And that's driven a very strong rally in markets, looking at where we're at so far this year in 20, only a few weeks in. But already many markets across bonds and equities are up by mid to high single digits. I highlight four key factors that are supporting that at this stage. Number one would be we can... I think definitively say that inflation has peaked across many major economies now, particularly in the all-important US, where it's down to below 7% now from a high of over 9% last year. And then secondly, uh, that fall in inflation has very much been supported by various factors, but uh, the chief one I'd highlight is a sharp fall in energy prices. Uh, Many commodity prices are now back to uh, pre-invasion levels in many cases. And natural gas is one to to really highlight uh, a mild winter we've experienced in Europe so far uh, and successful restocking of the gas storage tanks has led to the natural gas price tumbling by over 80% from its high back in August. So that helps bring inflation down there uh, and is also a big boost uh, relative to where we're at for households and economies. Thirdly, against that backdrop, central banks are able to slow the pace of monetary tightening, such that we're possibly close to the peak in interest rates in many markets now as well. And then fourthly, China, uh, looking east, has sprung a big surprise on markets by suddenly lifting COVID-related restrictions when that really wasn't expected by markets, uh, very much abandoned their, their zero COVID policy and reopened the economy. Uh, whilst also providing significant support for their uh, very much ailing property sector as well. So having represented a headwind for global growth previously, China is now expected to be a big contributor to global growth this year. So these factors are, are easing financial conditions and reducing the risk of recession, or at least improving the chances of some form of soft landing from here, however you want to define that. Nonetheless, I would say that the widespread consensus is still for the the US and Europe to be in recession during the course of of the next 12 months or so. 
But we must acknowledge that if that comes to pass, it would prove to be one of the most widely anticipated recessions in recent history, which is interesting because it, it should therefore be accounted for, discounted uh, to a large degree in market pricing and valuations. Um, but that's it, there's good reason there to curb one's pessimism at this point um, amidst a, a slew of bad news that we've seen over the course of the last few months or so. Markets are forward-looking and may well now be looking very much across the valley uh, of any near-term recession. So the point is, don't be surprised if markets prove more resilient this year in what may still be a tough economic environment. Well, like the one the caveat I'll add to that is... is <laughs> I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good news. I'll, I'll just you know, add one final comment in terms of one caveat I'll add to that is perversely this improvement that we're seeing is not necessarily good news from a central bank perspective. Uh, they'll worry that the easing of conditions may keep inflation elevated for longer. So in this sense, uh, I'd almost say a mild recession perhaps represents the best prospects for, for portfolios and markets, because without it, central banks may need to push on the brakes more aggressively, uh, i.e. more interest rate hikes, which uh, is not uh, currently fully discounted in markets. Markets are expecting central banks to, to really start easing up uh, quite significantly over the course of the next few months. So if that changes, then we could see further downside in markets. Mm, fair enough. Well, there's some nice notes of optimism in there, Andrew, which is always good to hear in these difficult times. Um, can I ask you now to cast your mind back a little bit and perhaps remind our listeners of some of the investment themes and sectors which performed well during the last recession and why that was. And also, I wonder if you think that this situation is likely to be repeated in whether well, it's mild or not mild this time round, um, or have things completely changed? Yeah, sure. So typically what's worked well in past recessions, you know, looking back over the very long term, bonds have done well, fixed income, mm -hmm. equities have done poorly. Within equity markets, your more defensive asset classes, uh, so less economically sensitive ones, tend to do better. Uh, um, so consumer staples, for example, you know, people carry on buying um, you know, food supplies, toilet roll, whatever it may be. They would be probably the, the, the main takeaways. But then I suppose our recent history uh, and many investors who have experienced those periods, recessionary periods, um, more recently uh, are going to be somewhat uh, tainted by the, the situations that we had then, which have been very extreme. So the COVID drawdown was, was very different from a normal recession. Uh, the global financial crisis as well. Uh, they were really, really extreme contractions. And we haven't had so many normal recessions more recently. And I think that's perhaps more what we're likely to be in for today. Uh, so we do think there's a, there's a, reasonably high risk that, that we have an economic contraction in Europe uh, and also in the US as well. But that needn't be feared. As I say, it's potentially part of the medicine for the bigger inflation problem that we've got at the moment. And households and corporations and the like are actually in pretty good shape to weather that as well. So, yeah, um, it's likely that many of the same sort of trends could play out across markets in terms of some of those areas that have worked well in the past, doing well over this period. But I think it'll be more muted than we've seen in the past. And we must recognize that there was quite a lot of pain already factored in for this year in last year's market moves. So a huge downside in, in many equity markets 
uh, a lot of which was driven by the, the aggressive interest rate tightening and increase in bond yields, but some of which was also discounting this, this worse environment for um, economies and for, and for corporates as well. So in that sense, what I'm saying is that there's a reasonable amount of bad news already discounted in prices today, and markets are very much forward-looking. And I think, as I said before, I think some of the um, rebound that we've seen over the course of, of this year already is markets looking across that valley and saying, okay, growth will be weaker over the course of this year or so, but let's, let's price in what's, what's coming after that, which would be recovery. I'm interested to hear that um, element of, of uh, perspective there. And certainly market timing is something I'd like to come back to a little bit later, if that's all right. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. So, Andrew, do you think that recessions are a natural part of the market cycle, uh, market cycle then? And if so, do investors just need to be a bit more resilient? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it, they're healthy. You know, this process of creative destruction, I know it's, it's painful for some parts of uh, industry uh, and individuals and the like. Uh, but looking at the, the bigger picture overall, uh, that is a it's, it's a healthy process of creative destruction. Uh, and it sets you up for for better growth ahead. And without it, then you can have too much excess built up in, in different areas. And we've seen that excess really build up over the course of the last 10 years or so. Really, the post-global financial crisis period has been exceptionally abnormal. You know, go back uh, a little over a year or so, and you had, was it $18 trillion, I think, of bonds uh of the value of bonds that had negative yields on them that's incredible and and there's there's nothing healthy about that there's nothing normal about that one of the things that we've seen over the course of this year already so far is the last one of those negative yielding bonds turning positive there now aren't any left globally and that's been a very painful process last year in terms of getting there in terms of the downside that we've seen in fixed income and the, and the uh, pain that's inflicted on many other asset classes but today we're in a much healthier position. Uh, there's there's positive real interest rates now across across many sovereign bonds, government bonds, and the like, and and corporate bonds. You know, investors are now well, well, maybe not well, but better compensated uh, for the risks that they that they take, take in those areas, and they can now get a, a real return, i.e., you know, a positive return over and above the the level of uh, inflation that's expected over the over the bond horizon. That's good. That's positive. So, uh, yes, overall, I think um, it, it is it is a healthy process. Mm, Andrew, I'm interested. The, the point you were just making then about positive real interest rate returns, and that make, makes me consider then for our audience today who will be advisors, advising their clients on different situations in life. And one of the, the key ones there is retirement. And I wonder, for advisors who have clients who may be retiring into a downturn, whether that's mild or not, whether you think there are particular banana skins that they may need to avoid, and if so, how, how could they do that? Investing into retirement does warrant a few changes in, in thinking, I suppose, around, around how you plan your investments, uh, the, 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 the nature of the mandate 
uh, or portfolio mix that you invest in, but also how you respond to these sort of environments as well. I don't think, you know, if someone's retiring over the course of this year or something, I don't think that uh, what we're seeing or likely to see over the course of this year necessarily warrants a change in their asset allocation all at once. I don't think someone should, should you know, retire one day and suddenly think that they need to wholesale change their portfolio. Uh, instead, these things can, can be done more gradually and during periods of high volatility probably should be uh, rather than leaving potential future upside on the table. At the core of it, they still need to be investing with a long-term horizon. Uh, nat naturally, there'd be some sort of change in terms of the, the underlying mix of the portfolio uh, over time, probably more focus on, on achieving a higher income as well overall, uh, so, so that you, you get a better natural yield from the portfolio rather than having to take income from capital. So all else equal, that would mean a bit more in fixed income, uh, a bit more in uh, within equity markets, having bias towards higher yielding stocks rather than lower yielding, say, growthy type stocks. Real assets as well. Um, so property, infrastructure, uh, areas that you know, at the moment you can get mid to high single digit yields there. So you know, well above what you get in the bank and the like uh, for, for pretty good diversifiers within portfolios that are less correlated with other assets and can be pretty defensive uh, and during tough times. There's those elements, but, but also in terms of the kind of the longer term planning as well. Remember, downturns are normal and they happen every few years, one way or another, whether it's a complete curveball like COVID or something, or whether it's a normal recession. So acknowledge that there's going to be volatility in, in portfolio value uh, and um, come up with a, a mandate, a, a plan that you can stick to as well, uh, because you know um, changing course midway through a period of volatility or a downturn can, over the long term, cause significant uh, damage to portfolios, i.e. so don't necessarily, don't take on more risk than you can bear during a tough period, because we know the future is very uncertain. We're going to be surprised. So don't put all your eggs in one basket. Okay, a bit <clears throat> a bit more generally then, what are the ways you think investors can best navigate this bout of um, volatility? So some of the changes that we talked about before, um, but I think there's a bigger change afoot that needs to be accounted for actually. We're now in a, in a very different environment from the post-financial crisis decade or so, as I said, of low inflation, low rates, and, and low growth over that period. The environment we're in now is, is clearly one of higher rates and inflation, and it's, it's likely to bring greater variability and volatility across many different dimensions. And one specific I'd highlight is that I think there's a much better environment for active management now, and particularly value styles within that, uh, which has certainly not been the case over the last 10 years or so, which has been characterized by you know, massive outperformance of US and, and growth stocks and the like, and, and pretty low volatility. But, you know, linking into my previous comments as well, we should remember that volatility shouldn't be shouldn't be feared. Uh, if, you're, if you're a long-term investor, uh, and I've got a long horizon, then all else equal, volatility presents an opportunity, you know, you can, you can buy more for less, uh, that sort of thing. But with that kind of that, that um, mindset of thinking that, hey, this this environment might actually be quite different. We might have just gone entered in, into a new era uh, since since inflation took off and, and rates started to pick up to this extent, um, which, you know, I, I think it can it can stay very different from that post global financial crisis period for for a long time yet. Inflation is coming down. It will come down, but I think it's going to remain pretty elevated. And so rates are going to have to remain elevated as well. 
and uh, it's just a you know with less central bank stimulus and support it's naturally going to be a more volatile market environment so with that context i'd, I'd warn against blindly buying the the past winners uh, if, if your portfolio has become too skewed towards what's worked over the last 10 years or so like i say us growth stocks for example I'd be pretty wary of that at the moment and be thinking hard about, should I have more diversification in my portfolio? Um, I mean, a, a good example is around, you know, extending that on country performance. The US has, has vastly outperformed over the course of the last 10 years or so, but we today see much, much better value in places like the UK and Japan in particular. Valuations are much, much lower there, and we think that should set up uh, better returns over the, over the coming years from here. That incidentally has played out well uh, over the course of the last year or so, uh, and highlights the, the benefit of that more, more valuation-driven approach. Uh, and also actually highlights the challenges of trying to implement a more macro-orientated top-down type approach. So let's say that you successfully forecast that the UK economy would, would struggle on a relative basis last year, which you know, it unequivocally did relative to much of the rest of the world and particularly relative to, to the US. Uh, and then you translate that into a view, well, okay, I'm not going to have anything in the UK and I'm going to invest all my assets in, in the US instead. But, you know, surprising as it is, the UK was actually the top performing major market last year. In local currency terms, it was up some 7% or so compared to the US market, which was down 18%. So the point is, even if you get the macroeconomic macro backdrop um, environment going forward right, it doesn't mean you know how to profit from it. And we've seen examples of that time and time again over the past. So as well as uh, you know that diversification, I do think you need that, that long-term approach, have a consistent approach to, towards asset allocation and, and the ability to take advantage of dislocations as and when they come up and you know, be tactical around a, a core strategic asset allocation view um, and, and be willing to buy when, when valuations become more attractive. But just remember that will be uncomfortable at times. Um, a few months ago was a good example of that. Uh, you know, many, many investors and market participants were incredibly bearish about what was coming uh, over the course of the next year or so. Um, and yes, that, that may well still be right in terms of the, the macro environment, but that meant the valuations were very cheap. You, know, you were well compensated for taking on that risk. And look what's happened over the course of the last three months. You've had many markets rally by, by 20% or so. So interesting what you said there and to to avoid that rearview mirror almost that so many people fall into the trap there don't they and accept that there is volatility and on that idea of volatility one final question for you if I may which mm -hmm. is whether that old mantra the one we, the, don't try to time the markets does that still really hold true in your opinion then yeah it does absolutely um it's very difficult to get that right uh, I suppose is, is, the, is the main thing to bear in mind. If you try and time markets, you need to get two decisions right. You need to time when you sell correctly, yeah. and then you need to get back in at the right time. And there's very few people who've successfully yeah. done that over yeah. time. Um, and then you've also, I mean, even if you could then think about, well, what, what's the, um, the risk that you're giving up on that in case you do get it wrong. And what I, I often reference uh, around this sort of thing is look back at long-term equity market returns. We've got good data for the US market going back to 1900 or so. And over that period, 
the US market has delivered a approximately 7% real return. So you've had a, a 7% return over and above inflation. That's huge. You know, and compound that over the long term of, you know, a typical investor's holding period of call it 10, 20, 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that growth, that gives you phenomenal capital growth over time. So given such consistency over such a long time period, I would say surely the burden of proof should be uh, massive in terms of why not to stay invested through time. And I think it represents the the biggest and most important challenge we fight in this industry um, and uh, you know, focusing on uh, us and the asset management side of things to maintain a, a truly long-term perspective and, and rally against our own inherent behavioral biases uh, and those of clients yes. with a long-term long-term perspective there are of course countless opportunities thrown up by markets for us to exploit um, and particularly at these sort of more extreme ends of, of the cycles of greed and fear thank you for that andrew and and for your insight today i'm i'm sure our listeners will have found what you've had to say very interesting and to me it's certainly a timely reminder of the value of having that consistent asset allocation strategy that you talked about there and of sticking to it. And through the inevitable, the ups and the downs, it's really a long-term perspective, which holds good when it comes to investment. Um, So thank you for your time today. It's been great to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. And big thanks to all our listeners too for tuning in today. We hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next week for the next edition of IFA Talk. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up you may not get back the amount you originally invested.